Now we look at um, Philemon, if you if you will, and a little book which is just um, before Hebrews, toward the right toward the end of the of the New Testament. Philemon, the most personal little letter in the Bible. And we'll read the whole of the letter. You all set? Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough to, in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, from hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.
beautiful, isn't it? Absolutely lovely little letter. Um, this is a, a wonderful letter that I, I was reading just a, a fortnight ago, and I thought um, when uh, the opportunity came up for me to preach today because of um, Duane and Han leaving away, I thought that I would um, take you through Philemon because I, I loved it so much. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of the early church. And so, um, you know, for that reason, it's very, very interesting to us is to see just how people in the early church in the first century actually conducted themselves toward one another and how they, how they felt toward one another. So, you know, very, very important, particularly important today, too, because I think, you know, we're living in New Zealand, in the Western world particularly, uh, in, a, in a day in which people outside of the church, the non-Christian community, which makes up the majority of New Zealanders, is saying that the church is actually um, um, a, a dangerous place. They're, they're using those terms now, aren't they, when they speak of the church, and they're seeing us as actually haters of humanity. They say that, as they said it in the first century of the church then, because, because we will not go along with what they say is permissible uh, in society. Uh, they, 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 they stand outside of Christ and outside of the word of Christ. And so they, they re in rejecting him, they, they reject the testimony and the place of the church. And they see us in standing for Christ as being opposed to their point of view and therefore haters of humanity and a place dangerous for people to come to. And it's teaching them something that the world is not saying, the Western world particularly is not saying. So, you know, it's, a, it's an important thing for us to think of what is the church? You know, who's welcome to the church? Who can join the church? Who are members of the church? Uh, they're, they're very, very important questions for us to, to consider. I thought the first, the most important thing to begin with, uh, we can kind of think of the three persons that are mentioned here, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. And uh, I thought of thinking particularly of Paul, because I think, um, you know, what he says regarding his own personal um, condition is very, very important and actually for, forms a kind of a backdrop, really, for what's said of Philemon and Onesimus. He, he mentions a number of times, and right from the outset of the letter, that he's in prison, and he's in prison for Christ and for, for the gospel, for Christ Jesus. A number of times this is said by him. And I think, I think he says it that number of times because it, it forms that framework within which he discusses the freedom, the new freedom of a slave and the obligations of a person, Philemon, who's a slave of Christ. So, you know, when we think of Paul, we think of him as an old man toward the end of his ministry. This was probably written in the late 50s, early 60s AD of the first century, uh, we can think of a man who was in prison because he taught the Bible, taught the Old Testament to the Jew properly. Uh, he preached Christ. He preached the resurrection of Christ. That particularly uh, stood out. When we read the book of Acts, we can see that the crucifixion for our sins and the resurrection of Christ in particular is that which proves to the world that he's the son of God. 
um, that was preached by this man, and that's what put him in prison. He was in prison for Christ. He wasn't in prison because he was a, a bad boy. He was in prison because he preached Christ and stood for Christ and loved Christ. He's also in prison because he's there by the will of Christ. That's interestingly pointed up in verse, I think, 22 of that letter, where he requests that Philemon pray for him that he might be delivered from prison. You don't pray to someone who can't deliver you from prison. The person you pray to is the one you put, he put, who put you in prison. Christ is the one who put him in prison and keeps him in prison. So he's, he's there um, requesting, asking Philemon to, to request, uh, make a request to the master of the universe that he be delivered from prison and so be free uh, in, a, in, a, in a material way and be able to visit Philemon, who probably lived in Colossae. There's lots of parallels between Colossians and Philemon. He probably lived there, and Onesimus came from Colossae in Turkey. Um, he wanted to be free to go and stay with Philemon and have a guest room there. So the, those two things are really so important when we think of his imprisonment, that he's there because uh, of Christ, because of his love of Christ, and he's there because Christ has put him there, and at that time, he's keeping him there, because that's his will. That's the place where he wanted him to be. And you know, the interesting thing is that even though he's in prison, he's there for Christ and for the gospel, and his ministry doesn't stop. And it's during his imprisonment that's clear in this letter that he spoke to Onesimus of Christ and of the love of God. Um, his love, those two things, which I think very importantly pointed up in verse 5, love of the saints and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, those, those two things are, are what really won the heart of Onesimus, and he, and he was um, led through Paul to a saving understanding of, of Christ Jesus. So this man, far from sitting there and wasting his time in prison, doing nothing, and, and being so sad about his condition, used every opportunity, as we see in Acts 28 as well, when he's in Rome in prison, he, he used all of this time uh, to, to speak to people who were brought by God and his sovereignty into his life. And one of those persons was this slave, Onesimus, who'd run away. And that leads us to the, to the next sort of person, Onesimus, the slave. A slave was in the, in the Roman Empire. I don't know what the proportion was, but I think it could have been about a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. An enormous number of people were slaves. And those slaves may well have been more educated than their masters. When, when Rome conquered Greece in the first century BC, 
Thousands of Greek people who are highly educated were taken as slaves into Rome, into Italy, and into the Roman Empire. They became slaves. This man could have been Greek. He could have been a highly educated man. He may have been African. There may have been sort of racial aspects here involved in this letter as well. He could have come from Ethiopia or from, from, from um, uh, Libya. You know, these places are... Were, were, well, Libya particularly was part of the empire, but Ethiopia also connected in some way with the empire. He was a slave. He was a living tool. That's what they would see him as. He was a no person, a non-person. Uh, he didn't exist. He had no presence. And his opinion was really not even uh, gathered or sought mostly. He was a nothing, nothing man. Uh, and that's what his position was in society, in, in the household of Philemon, who is a Christian man. And there's an interesting thing that we'll talk about in a moment. But Onesimus, you know, for some reason ran away from Philemon and ran to wherever, Ephesus or Rome, wherever Paul was imprisoned. You know, he, and he ran there because maybe he had stolen something, and that was, that's what's re being referred to when he referred to what he owed Philemon. Maybe he stole something valuable in his household, or perhaps he just stole his time as a slave, as a living tool, and had taken away his time from Philemon by his fleeing from the household in Colossae. But anyway, by the grace of God, he found himself uh, in the presence of Paul. And why he went to Paul is an interesting, interesting thing. How he found Paul is interesting because I think Paul clearly was a friend of Philemon and Onesimus must have seen Paul in the household of Philemon. And so it's, it's, it's understandable that if he was in real difficulties, as he would have been as a slave with, with nothing, he, he may well have sought out a friend of Philemon. Uh, and that's what that's what he did. He sought out Paul, and in coming to Paul, whom he may have known was a Christian, he heard of the love of Christ for him as a slave, and he received the love of Christ, as we see in verse 5, uh, those two wonderful things which are really at the very center of excellent evangelism, still are in the 21st century, that we love, love people and that we not only give the our love but we give the the gospel of Jesus Christ as well those two priceless things as first Thessalonians chapter 2 says when speaking of Paul's ministry that those two things must have been given to Onesimus and he came to a saving understanding of Jesus Christ in the prison of Paul, and his whole life was changed. You know, he was immediately, in coming to Christ, he became the man's brother. He became his very heart. He became a precious person, a friend uh, to this man. He's, he's described in various wonderful ways in this book. So there's immediately this an, an extraordinary relationship, which is, which is fashioned through the gospel 
when this man comes into the family of God and there immediately finds the brotherhood of Paul and of others who loved Jesus Christ. But you know, all of that besides, you know, he's still a slave. And as a slave, he has to, by the law of Rome, be returned to his master. And so Philemon sends Onesimus back to, or Paul does, back to Philemon in Colossae, carrying his own letter, carrying this letter, you know, describing himself and what had happened to him uh, during the ministry of Paul and how much Paul loved him. You know, he, he goes back because Paul has, has an obligation to, to send him, even though it's an un, unwilling thing. He wished he could keep him. He wished he could keep him because he was sort of standing in for Philemon and serving him in prison in a wonderful way. You know, even though Philemon was so far away, you know, he valued, so valued the, the, the ministry and, and the presence and the, and the love of, of, of Onesimus in his prison. He, he wanted him to be there, but he had to send him back to Philemon because he was Philemon's commodity. He was his living tool. He was his slave, and as such, he, he had to be returned. Now, you know, that raises the question, doesn't it, of the church and slavery, because lots of people today, by the way, in the Western world are asking, you know, us, us as, as a church, do we accept slavery? Do we believe in slavery as a rightful God-ordained thing, you know? And nowhere in the New Testament is, is slavery condoned. 1 Corinthians 7 is the great passage in the New Testament, which really points up exactly, you know, what God, what God thinks of slavery. And there he clearly says that if slaves have an opportunity to get out of slavery legally, then they must take it. And they should never, as a believer, ever enter willingly into slavery. The gospel actually today and forever, all through the ages, has completely, utterly undermined slavery and destroyed slavery. Because in Christ, when Onesimus becomes a believer, Onesimus becomes the brother to the master. And so how can the master continue on with a slave who's now his brother without freeing him from his slavery? I mean, it's the end is in sight. And that's why um, in the British Empire, eventually after so many centuries, and the Danish Empire, which even preceded the work of the British Empire in freeing slaves, these things were done because of a groundswell of Christian opinion within Parliament at that time in, in London. And then it's led on to all sorts of other things. But there's still slaves today, you know, in, in many places of the world. Children particularly who have no freedom of movement at all and must do what they, their master tells them to do. And sadly, their parents have sold them into slavery to pay off debt. And children having to work and do menial, manual, nothing work um, to to. To, to, to save their, their parents. It's so sad, you know, and Christian people today should be so, so against these things and, and, and so wanting everyone who is nothing, the slave included, to 
to come to the, to the master. Now that takes us to Philemon, the master. You know, he was a freed man, wasn't he? As, the, as we would say, as they say in the Bible, he was a freed man. Uh, like Paul, Paul was born a, a Roman citizen and was born as a freed man. And in a, in a civil sense, he was a freed man. And in a spiritual sense, he was a freed man. But, you know, and here's the point, you know, Onesimus was a slave and made a freed man in Christ. Philemon was a freed man and made a slave of Christ while still maintaining his civil freedom. But actually, he was now a, a slave of Christ and was obligated as a slave of Christ to do his bidding. And that brings us to this, you know, little conversation that Paul has with him. As a slave of Christ, you know, he can be told what to do. As a freed man in Christ, he's free and must do things for Jesus out of the abundance of his free will and out of the goodness of his heart. And so Paul, you know, is appealing to him to, to do what he asks. He, he won't demand it because he's a freed man in Christ. And yet he asks for it because he's a slave of Christ. And he's expecting Philemon to do as he asks him to do. He knows he will do it. And more, he says, than I ask. You'll receive Onesimus into your household and no doubt you'll love him. And maybe, I hope, although I've never written it, he says, basically, you know, I hope you free the man um, from his slavery, civil slavery, and make him truly a freed man civilly and a freed man in Christ. Well, all of this, you know, this is bringing me to the end, um, is, a, is a wonderful picture of the church, isn't it? So beautiful. Full of people, you know, about 10 people in the little letter mentioned when you go to the end of the letter. Um, you know, Aphia, uh, Archippus, they may have been his um, Philemon's wife, perhaps, you know, um, uh, son, perhaps, you know. And then a whole church meeting in their house, there's innumerable people there. You know, when we were in uh, when we were in Pompey in Italy, um, we went into some of those houses, and some of them are enormous. They could hold comfortably a hundred people in their kind of open lounge, you know, which was part of the Roman Roman home. So it, there could have been many, many people, and then there are all the people named at the end of the letter as well. There's so many people that are spoken of, living people, real people in in the first century church. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely picture of, of, of Christ and his church and can be set against what the world does not want to see, does not want to see the church, and it does not want to see the church because it rejects the master of the church and rejects his, in rejecting him, rejects his authority over the world in general and in the church rejects the idea that the master of the universe can tell us how to live as people whom he's made. They don't want that, and they see us accordingly as people who hate them, humanity, and are a dangerous place for us to be.
But all of us, you know, in the church, we're all of us um, here by the, by the grace of Christ, aren't we? We're, and we're bought with a price, every one of us. I, I cited in, in my prayer, I think, you know, I, some words from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that in Corinthians, in the Corinthian church, there were plenty of slaves. 1 Corinthians 6 says there seemed to be pews of past homosexual lesbian women sitting in, in, the, in the church. Lots of them. They once were that, and now they're sanctified and justified and redeemed through Jesus Christ. The church was just such a vibrant, living, amazing place of transformed people and people from slavery, non-people, you know, people who were nothing, 1 Corinthians 2, of no account. These people were now in the church and we're in the church as loving sisters and brothers received by the wealthy of the church, by the masters of the church, on equal grounds in that everyone, everyone was a brother and a sister to the other. In him, there's neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, neither African or European. All of those things are not of importance in the church, but we're to love one another and we're to love his gospel. And in bringing those two priceless, valuable things to one another, we build one another up and we become a great draw card for people in the world who are today are really aching, though they don't know it, for a place where they'll be loved and received and where someone will take their burden off them, help relieve them of the burden of their guilt and of their conscience. If only they knew that Christ was the saviour of the world, and we're to keep on saying that to everybody around us. So let's pray now. Lord, we thank you so much for the little letter, and uh, we're really so looking forward to meeting Philemon and Onesimus and Paul one day, and all these other people who have mentioned such a happy time with you, with you, when you come to get us all and gather us up and, and bring us all together, the whole of the church whom you've saved. And we thank you for the, that happy prospect, and we pray that we might live in the, in the knowledge of the second coming, your second coming, of your coming again, when you will completely, utterly, and momentarily disrupt everything that's going on in the world and indicate to the world in the blink of an eye that you are the master of the universe. Help us to believe these things for your name's sake. Amen.